Welcome to Consensual, where we talk about SVOC New Hampshire, our student-led group um, comprised of 11 student advocates who fight to end sexual violence on cultural, legislative, interpersonal, and personal levels. I hope you enjoy this episode of Consensual. Hello, <laughs> welcome back to Consensual. Um, Today we have Reagan and Lorian and a special guest, Sam Bernstein, um, who works with the both of us on an ELO project that we do. Um, you can learn a little bit more about that on the website and in our email chain. But um, to start off, I guess, Sam, do you want to introduce yourself and just a bit of um, what you do and your background, things like that? Oh, sure. Okay. So what I do. So I'm a registered nurse. Um, and at the moment, I am a PhD student in nursing, and I do research in maternal morbidity and mortality. Um, I have a super eclectic academic background. I have a bachelor's in anthropology and nursing, and I have a master's in American studies and then a master's in nursing, and now I'm doing this PhD. Um, I like to do lots of different things all the time. Um, yeah, and I live up here in rural New Hampshire, and I have two kids who are 17 and almost 19, and I have a husband who's an anesthesiologist. Woo, that is for sure, a big background. <laughs> You've got a lot going on. Um, yeah. Well, today we have you on to talk about roller derby. So something yeah. that not really fits into the strict lines of any of those things, but definitely um, an interesting discussion um, that kind of will be expected to flow in a couple of different directions. Yeah. Um, so Lorian, do you want to kick us off with that? Yeah. Um, so Sam, I guess we'd just like to talk first, but like your first introduction to roller derby and like what, like why you started and like what got you into it in the first place. Yeah. So when I started doing roller derby, it was in 2015. We had just moved up to New Hampshire. Um, and I saw an article about it in a paper, like a newspaper. Um, and I didn't really know anything about roller derby. I didn't know how it was played. I didn't know anything. I just knew that like like it looked kind of badass and I needed to go do something. Um, I think one of the things about like having kids at that point I wasn't working is you feel like nothing's like just yours. So that was gonna be like a thing I could go check out and be like, is this for me? I don't know. Um, I always like roller skating as a kid. So that part wasn't scary to me. Um, I played soccer as a kid. So the idea of like being physical sounded cool to me, um, but I didn't know anything about it. And I was super like secretive about it when I went to check it out the first time. My husband was like, were you going out? And I was like, yeah, I, I got a thing. Um, and that felt really weird. Like, I didn't know why I felt like I had to keep it a secret, but it felt very, um, like for some reason, I felt like it had to be a secret. Like it was like this big dark thing. I didn't want to say that I was going to go do it. Maybe because it sounded so crazy. Um, and I realized when we talked about roller derby last time, I didn't really give you guys like a primer on like how the game is played. So I think I'm just going to do that real quickly. Yeah. Um, I'm leaving out lots of details. So any roller derby people in the audience are gonna be like, she didn't say this and this, and that is true, but we're just gonna go quick. <laughs> so essentially two teams on a track. I played flat track roller derby, which is sometimes in movies you see like there's like a tilt, this is flat, which is I think much easier. Um, you've got a jammer for each team and she has a star on her helmet. And then you've got blockers on each team. And the jammers and the blockers, the blockers start out in front of the jammers. And first the jammers have to like fight their way through the pack of blockers. And then after they get through the whole pack of blockers, they have to skate all the way around the track and they start getting points after they pass each blocker on the other team a second time. Um, and that can go on for 
And once the, once the first jammer gets through the pack, that person's the lead jammer. And they're the ones who can say when we're done, like they can call off the jam and they do that in like the most fun way, which is you put your hands up in the air and you tuck your hips and you can just sort of do. And so that's how they know the jam is over. And I, when I played, I was a jammer and it is like crazy and fun and wild and like this crazy sense of power. Cause when you're the lead jammer, you get to say when it's over. And that felt really cool too. Yeah, that's super cool. And that's a good, just like basic introduction. Like I can definitely paint a clear picture in my head, even though I know that, like you said, there's probably a bit more to it than that. Yes, but that's the basics. Yeah. Um, so you said that like you just found the article in the newspaper, you went to go try it out the first time. What was your like first experience like? What were your thoughts? Um, what kind of made you come back? So I went into this gym, a school gym, and people were so excited that there was someone new coming. Like it's a super welcoming environment really always. I mean, I think my team here in, in the Mad Knockers certainly were, but I think that people experience that everywhere that it's a really accepting kind of group. They're so excited someone wants to learn the game. Um, they had equipment to loan to me and they're like, all right, here's all your equipment. And you're like, all right, skates. And they're like, and, and elbow pads and knee pads. And you're like, ooh, whoa, okay. Um, like I said, I had experience skating, so I could skate forwards. I could skate backwards. I wasn't any sort of like fabulous skater, but I, I could do it. And they'll, I mean, our team will take anyone. If you can't skate, like we'll teach you to skate. Um, and I haven't played in a while, but I still think of it as my team. Um, it was such a diverse group of women, like all sizes, first of all, like they're every, every size person will find some incredible benefit to being on a roller derby team. If you are big and wide, then you're going to be a great, great blocker. Like the bigger, the better. You've got weight behind you. It means it's really hard for anyone to knock you over. It's hard for a jammer to get through. Like that's really cool. And if you're small, um, then it's easier for you to fit through holes and you'll make a great jammer. And and also no one, like there's just no judgment about, about body size or shape. Everyone knows there's benefits to all that. Um, so it was just this really diverse group of women. Like there were like teachers and bus drivers and a corporate attorney and a massage therapist and just... It, you just couldn't, you can't tell by looking what anyone is when they're off the track. Like you look at them on the track and you just see like this sea of like helmets and pads. Um, and like you, you get to put those other identities like to the side while you're on the track. Um, and it's also like, it's physically really hard. Like the, the derby stance that you take to, to be solid is to like bend your knees pretty low and you're in a crouch the whole time. And it's like exhausting and fun. And there's not a lot of time to like think too much, which is definitely like a habit of mine is like living all up in my head and thinking too much. And there's not a lot of time for that on the track. So it's, it's got like almost like a meditative aspect to it because there's no time to think. And you said um, when we talked before that your team, your team name was Mad Knockers. Yeah. Which, and, um, and then what was your, your personal name? So my derby name was Foxfire, Fox like the Phoenix in Harry Potter. Um, there's a lot of animal names that people choose. There's a lot of magical stuff. Um, sometimes people do like a play on their own name. Um, there's a really famous derby player whose who's derby name is OMGWTF. Um, like there's, and there's a lot of playing with like sexual stuff and there's all sorts of, it's very, very playful environment overall. Do you think like, do you have any like opinions about like what, like those kind of like 
like the pop culture references and like the sexual innuendos like stuff like that does like that mean something like in a deeper way or is it kind of just for fun um I think it depends on who it is I think it's got like huge third wave feminist energy to it because it's like I can be sexual and I can play with that and I can be like whatever kind of woman I want to be on the track off the track and I I can like you know, like I can say fuck and I can talk like that and I'm allowed to, and I can embrace that. And, um, the playfulness is for some people, it's just play. Like, it's not, they're not like I'm a feminist and therefore it's just like, this is really fun to play with. And for some people it's very like hardcore, like this is my feminism. Um, I'm listening and I'm just like thinking <laughs> to myself, like, oh, thank God they had like a th- uh, massage therapist on the team because like <laughs> you couldn't even about ima- that was what I was thinking, like, oh, I would probably take advantage of that after getting beat up <laughs> out there. Yeah. Um, but I guess, okay, so to segue into the next question, um, it sounds like it's just like a generally a very embracing um, and empowering type of sport. Um, and, you know, after looking, Lauren and I did some reading on the general subject of roller derby. Um, like we found, and if you could talk talk a bit on this, um, that like the sport was popularized by men. Um, you know, it was televised as a way to like sexualize these women. Um, so like, how did it then, from that stage, become a staple of third wave feminism? That's such a good question, and I think um. I think it's a lot of people of women taking things over once they realize that they were the ones with the power that sometimes it, you know, it's historically, it often has taken men to do something for women to get power later on. I don't think that that's like roller derby special at all. Um, But there's definitely thinking about like where power comes from, I think is part of that. And while it may have been popularized by men, that's definitely true. Like they were the promoters and it was all about like, oh, let's come look at these chicks, like duke it out. And you hear plenty of that. Like when you go to roller derby, even now, there's definitely like some older men who are like, yeah, I just like to see the chicks fight. And you're like, you like the sports, just shut up. Um, But wait, like if they like to see that, like I'm the one in power, like they think they're in power, but they just paid eight bucks to come see me play a sport. Like they can think they have the power, but that's ridiculous. I'm charging them money. And there's definitely, it actually reminds me a lot of, um, like Madonna's music in the eighties that Madonna had took this, this stance of like, wait, if there's a casting couch and if I have sex with you, then I get a job. Why do you say that you have the power? Like I can turn that on you. That means that I can use you. And it was that's that very much that like reframing of wait, 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 my body's mine. I can do with it what I want and I can use it for my power. Like, Oh, Hmm. How different is that than anything else? Yeah, that, that is interesting. Um, I guess, cause like also like the outfits are pretty, like you've been able to take that from like, um, maybe like men like coming up with this sport and like using it to like kind of put women up on this, like uh, like looking at them and objectifying them. But then like, now it's like you have, you, I think you've talked about this before, like um, that the outfits are all like very homemade and like you can kind of do whatever you want with them. And it's kind of a way to like take, take that back to us in a certain aspect, right? Yeah, I think that that's a big part of it. Certainly like, I mean, what you'll use, what I've usually seen when, when at, at derby bouts and you can see them like on YouTube, there's tons of great derby bouts to watch too, is there's, you know, like a fairly similar uniform top and then bottoms is like whatever the hell you want. 
um, whether that's like fishnet stockings and sparkly hot pants, a skirt, whatever. Um, and for me, that was definitely, I mean, when I was playing, I think I was the oldest member on our team. If not, I was pretty close. I was like 41, 42. Um, and the idea of like, oh, number one, I'm going to go play a sport and people are going to pay for to see it. Like, that's ridiculous, but okay. And then it's like, oh, I can put on this whole other persona. I can put on a costume and I can put, you know, silver sparkles on my big ass and people are going to clap for that. Like, that's a little bit empowering. Like, wait a minute. Like, I don't have to look cute. Like I can be cute for me. And I can think like, that looks cute. And there's a really weird thing. I think, I think that there's been some, um, some prior forms of feminism that have really embraced, like it doesn't matter what you look like. And I think that that has a lot of validity, but on the other side over on the roller derby track is like, oh, it matters what you look like. And why don't you, why don't you look what you think is hot? Like go be hot if that's what you want to do. And you know what? Like, yeah, roller derby is going to require some eye makeup from time to time. Like you're putting on like this badass thing. Like you want to be tough and weird um, and maybe a little bit scary sometimes. And, and I feel like that, I mean, so empowering. I definitely like the first few bouts we had, I, I wore like black leggings and that's what I skated and it was really comfortable and it kept my legs really safe. And then looking around, I was like, I can put on sparkly hot pants if I want. Like I can do that. That's going to be allowed here. And no one, no one's going to say she's fat. Like that's not even, no one gives a crap. And you definitely start realizing like, oh, maybe no one gives a crap anywhere actually. Like maybe all the time I should wear what I want because why do I care again? Like, wait a minute. Like I'm like an athlete on a roller derby track. And I can look that way. So maybe I can look however I want all the time. Like you can take that off the track. Um, and I think that, that that confidence is really huge. And I still feel that confidence, even though it's been years since I've been on the track. I still feel like, like, hey, I could knock that guy down if he gives me shit. Like, that's not a bad feeling. No, that's, that's, that's a good feeling, actually. I feel like that's a really great tool to have in the back <laughs> of your mind is like, I know, at least I know that I can absolutely yeah. take down this person. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Um, so I, I kind of want to give some context for whoever's listening because we keep referencing the last discussion we had. So we did have this discussion <laughs> a different time and it got tragically erased from the internet cloud um, space of Zoom. So this is take two, and we're having a pretty similar discussion, but um, I do want to bring up this point again and talk about it a little bit more about um, you talk about like the diversity of your direct team, your experience um, in age, um, you talk about just like in, in career, um, in different lifestyles, but like as do you, are you like able to speak on a little bit like the diversity of like the sport at whole, like across the nation? Like, is it um, in terms of like accessibility um, and equipment? Like how has the sport like taken on the national face? Um, right, such a good question. So obviously up here in New Hampshire, like we were a pretty white team. We did have an Asian member of the team. Um, I think that, I think that racially there is something about different sports being assigned to different races, right? Like we know like who does different sports and some of that is due to access and what you grew up seeing. And if you look at like the, um, the roller derby teams in New York city, they have tremendous ethnic and racial diversity and there's gender diversity throughout roller derby. Um, we had a transgender member of our team. Like, that's just like, that's just how it is. There's just tremendous gender fluidity and that's totally expected and normal. Um, and the accessibility piece, I, I think that so many people would find the sport inaccessible um, because of the like equipment costs money. There's no getting around that. It's a lot of equipment. Um, 
but every team I know has equipment they can loan out and everyone pays dues to play roller derby and there, and, and there's always a way if someone wants to play, if they can't afford equipment, people will always find a way to get that person equipment. Um, that's just like the expectation of it is it's very, um, it's community and it's like this genuine, like we want you to be a part of us and we will help you get to be a part of us. Like we will find a way. And if you couldn't pay dues, like it really was, like you could just say to the treasurer, like I, I can't do dues this month and it was confidential and it was no big deal. Um, I don't think there was any guilt around that. I think everyone just wants to, to have like that sort of big tent approach. And I will say that one of the really interesting things that has happened in the last couple of years, the way the roller derby rules were written by the Women's Flat Track Roller Derby Association, the rules used to say that every player had to wear two wrist guards, two elbow guards, two knee guards, and a mouth guard. And the rules have now been rewritten because there were um, players with various disabilities who said, well, I can't wear two wrist guards. I don't have a right hand. And so the rules are now changed so that they say that the, like, that it's more like if then. If you have teeth, then you have to wear a mouth guard. If you have two hands, then you have to wear two wrist guards. So it's a, it's like a, it's like just an unintended thing that the people who wrote the rules saying you have to wear two wrist guards, they weren't trying to exclude anyone and didn't realize they were until people started wanting to play derby who had different kinds of bodies. And there's a, um, a player in New Hampshire whose daughter um, has, I don't want to say she's an amputee because I actually don't know why she does not have two lower legs, but she does not have either lower leg and she uses braces to skate and she's incredible. And it's just one of the coolest things is within roller derby. It's like, hey, how can we make this work for that kid? How can we make this work for everyone? And it, there's just, there's like wild flexibility. So like not only open table in terms of like how you can participate, but also sounds like open table, like organizationally, like yeah. people from the top are listening to from the top, quote unquote, are listening to people from the bottom, quote unquote, or just like yeah. um, people who are organizing are listening to the people who you know, they serve, um, which is <laughs> sadly something that we don't always see um, in, in other structures. So I, I guess that's just cool. I just wanted to it's really cool. And there's also, there's so many non-skating roles within Derby, like to make a Derby bout happen, you need also, you need officials who are on skates, but you also need non-skating officials. You need organizers, you need EMTs, you need so many people that like, if you want to be a part of a roller derby team, like there is a space for you. There is, I, I, there, I don't know any roller derby team who'd be like, no, we don't need any help. Like everyone needs help. You can do fundraising. You can put up posters. Like there's something for everyone. So even if you're like, you know, I don't see myself on skates. I'm, that's not my scene. If you want to be a part of roller derby, you can be a part of roller derby. Yeah, I think that there's a lot to say about like that specific kind of community, like interaction. Like if I were to join like a club soccer team, like I would not get that kind of diversity or like acceptance or like the connection with like other generations and like more like gender fluidity and like just like in like body types it's like it's so much it seems like it's so much more like just like everyone and all people and it's like not so um I don't know uh, like strained into like this like one type of like 16 year old white girl who weighs <laughs> this much and like like most soccer teams are <laughs> Yeah, it's more like a mutual aid mod model where like everyone has a part to play. Um, that that does make it really different. I think that's a cool comparison. That's gonna get me thinking. I think <laughs> for a bit. Um, 
Yes, so because like because mutual aid you have like organizing and you have receiving, uh, but then they're all like they are interchanging constantly. Um, and the focus is always it remains constant on both ends. It's just well, obviously it depends on what type of mutual aid work you're doing. But um, yeah. I think that's a cool that's a cool way to describe the model of it at least is that it's just very open, um, very welcoming. I don't know. Is that would you be able to like um, like you said that you haven't skated or you haven't been in the rink for a long time. Um, and you said there was like a couple of different things that you carry with you past that experience, like know the ability to know when you'd be able to beat someone up, <laughs> which is awesome. Um, but like, are there any other things that you really like continue to carry with you um, yeah. from that experience? There, there's, there's this experience I had, I'll try to explain it because it's so odd. So when you, when you join a roller derby team, um, there's like certain, there's certain skill levels that you need to be able to achieve in order to be part of a game, which is literally like from the purposes of safety. Like if you can't stop forwards and backwards, you're not safe. Right. So there's all these things. And one of the things that you have to be able to do is you have to be able to do, I think they changed it now, but last I checked when I did it, you had to do 27 laps of the rink in five minutes. And that is really hard. Um, for super athletes, that's not hard. For normal people, that's hard. Um, and the I, and so me, like what we did is we, we it's called twenty seven and five. So we practiced twenty seven and five every every practice we did it, um, which is cool because you can see yourself getting closer and getting better. And the speed thing, you know, there's an aspect of speed which is just going fast. But of course, you've got to do twenty seven laps. So if you head out too fast, you're hosed. Um, you need to keep down in that low derby crouch and you need to be somewhat strategic about how you take your corners. So you minimize the distance you're going. If you do that too hard, then you're going to fall. If you make them too wide, it's going to take you too long. So there's like a lot, there's like, there, there's a lot of learning about like what your strategies are. And I had gotten really close a couple of times and I had, I had gotten as close as 25 and five. And I wasn't frustrated. Like I was like, okay, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. And, it, and a teammate was like, I think if you had different wheels, you'd be able to do this. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she's like, the wheels on your skates, like hard wheels slide a little more and sticky wheels stick a little more. They're softer. And so it's a, you can take corners a little bit faster on sticky wheels. And she's like, try my wheels. And I was like, that's fine. Fine. I, so I took the time. I took my derby skates apart. I put her wheels on and I did it. I did the 27 and five. And it was literally like, I could do it. It was a matter of my equipment. And then someone told me, and first of all, that was like a huge accomplishment. 27 and five is like a major thing. And you feel so cool when you do it. And basically as soon as the five were over and I realized I had hit 25, I literally, this is what most of us do. You slide to the floor and you just put your arms in the air and you're like, I did it. And you're just, you're, you're breathing so hard. It's so hard to do. And it's, it's like a five minute sprint for someone like me. Anyway, so someone said they'd been to this derby conference, which is a very funny thing to consider. And I haven't been, but I've seen pictures. They'd been to a derby conference that was about equipment. And the person in charge of that said that when she teaches people about different wheels and stickiness and equipment, it is often men are very willing to blame their equipment on their, like their failures are due to their equipment. And women never think that their equipment could help them be any better. They think it's all them. And that is like this thing that I have like struggled with, like since then this concept, like, wait a minute, if I'm failing at something, am I the one failing or do I not have the right stuff to do it? Do I not have the resources, the equipment? What, like what's stopping me from achieving some goal? And maybe it's not that I'm a failure. Maybe I don't have all the stuff I need. 
And it had never really occurred to me. I had never thought about it that way. I certainly, when I couldn't get my 27 and five, it never occurred to me that different wheels or different equipment would make a difference. Even though obviously I'm skating, like my skates have something to do with it. But I just cannot stop thinking about that thing. And I think about it like in every aspect of my life, like, is this me or is this my equipment? Do I have the resources? That's really cool to like take, take your experience in that and like be able to like apply to other aspects of your life because I think that like when you do something like a sport or you have a hobby it's so easy to when you put so much time into it it's easy to like kind of like compartmentalize it so it's like this is this and this is that but like you actually like learn so much from those experiences and like are able to like do so much with what you learn in like so many other parts of your life so I don't know that that's I, I like that a lot um, I guess wrapping up, um, would you want to, like, if anyone's interested listening um, in roller derby, like, where would you direct them? And do you have any advice that you would maybe give as a uh, roller derby expert? <laughs> oh, hardly expert. Yeah, I mean, certainly, look, there is probably roller derby near you, whoever you are, wherever you live, and you don't realize it. So once we get out of this coronavirus, everybody stay home all the time. Find roller derby near you and either just go to about, go buy tickets, go to about, watch it and check it out. Shoot them an email and ask if you can come watch a practice or take part in a practice. It's such a like wide open space um, and taking part in a practice and seeing what those are like. And there's, I mean, there's derby tryouts like all the time. And, and a lot of places will be like, come practice with us for six weeks. And then there's official tryouts for a team. And if you don't make a team, you can still come practice with us. You're just not doing bouts until you get to some skill level. Um, it, it is definitely like, in general, I do not like watching sports. I think it's incredibly boring and I'm not interested in it at all, but I really like watching derby because there's so much else going on besides just the sport. Um, there's just so much like, personality and culture that you can soak in and I just love it I just wanted to add this whole thing has been making me think about my experience running track um because I ran track for four years um which I always considered to be like a very highly empowering thing for me um like something that I was able to like Lauren like you said like take messages from track and from my training and integrate them into my personal life um, but I feel like like the difference that kind of separates sports like track or sports like soccer, where you can kind of like take individual things away from it, is that those experiences are like shared and celebrated in roller derby, it almost sounds like, if that makes any sense. Whereas like everything I took away from track was kind of like very personal and like very meaningful to me, whereas like those meanings were like celebrated, emphasized, like among the whole team in roller derby, like the, that was at the forefront of, of the experience rather than like, I don't know, whatever else is at the forefront of like traditional sport experiences, winning, having a good team, et cetera. I don't know. Just wanted to throw that in there because it really does, it like it makes you think about like the general like culture of being together versus being an individual in a sport. Um, but I would encourage anybody listening to consider that <laughs> in their in their personal sport history and whether they can reach roller derby after coronavirus happens because that's yeah. a really cool conversation to have okay thanks you guys thank you thank so you. much sam yeah yes
Thank you for listening to this episode of Consensual. If you want to keep following our group and hearing more about what we do and who we talk to, please subscribe to our email chain at www.svocnh.org or follow any of our social media um, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and the like. <laughs>